Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A lot of people get promoted based on their technical skills, what they know about getting the job done. But as you move up, you need less and less of those skills and you need more um, people skills, what HR kind of still calls soft skills, but I call core skills. Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. This is another special Wednesday morning episode brought to you by our sponsors, Jeremy Clevenger Fitness and the Sasquatch Flag Company. Both of these sponsors help me bring these shows to you each and every week, so I encourage you to click on their links below and check them out. I have another great show lined up for you today, but before we get started, I just want to remind you to check out the leadership books I've written on either Amazon or my website, johnsrenny.com. This year, I'm offering a new way to purchase all of my books for a discount. I've bundled the books into what I call the Qualified Leadership Series, and you get all three books for 15% off the individual prices. This offer is only available on my website, so check it out if you're looking to step up your leadership game this year. Also, I wanted to remind you that Deep Leadership is now ranked as a top 100 management podcast in the U.S. and now in the U.K., and I wanted to thank each and every one of you for listening in each week and sharing these episodes with your friends. You have helped this podcast grow into a top-performing show, so thank you very much. Well, that is it. Today, we're going to be talking about why so many leaders fail to make an impact, and my guest is Jim Saliba. He is the author of The Six-Step Leadership Challenge, Six Steps in Six Months to Revolutionize Your Leadership at Any Level, and in this book, Jim reveals the most common reasons why leaders fail, and he gives us six simple steps to become the leader our people truly need. Now, many leaders are not satisfied with the impact they are making on their teams, and they don't know why. Well, this conversation will give them the answers, and it will give you those answers as well. So, are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jim Saliba. Jim is a certified coach, trainer, public speaker, and author with over 30 years of experience in leadership. He's the author of the Six-Step Leadership Challenge, Six Steps in Six Months to Revolutionize Your Leadership at Any Level. And I'm excited to have him on the show to learn why so many leaders fail to make an impact and what they should be doing differently. So, Jim, 
Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. It's an honor to meet you, and I'm excited to talk about this new book. Uh, but before we dive into the book, I just want to ask you a little bit about your leadership journey. Where did it start, and where did you develop such a passion to help other leaders? Uh, okay, so I would say I was working for a large software company, and there was a big reshuffle in the organization, and I found myself all of a sudden being a manager, not of a small team, but a manager of three managers who each had teams. Oh. And this was jumping in for my first level of leadership. And um, I, I have to say, it really scared me. It really scared me because I wanted to do a great job. And I started doing tremendous amount of reading and books and seminars. I went back for my MBA my quest to learn about it and be good was great. One of the things, though, I want to point out, I went and I did a Dale Carnegie course. I actually did a few of them. And that was kind of a really big turning point for me to understand what they call the human relationships principles. And it wasn't just the activities. It was about people. And, mm -hmm. and that really got a good thing in for me. And I grew to be about um, a VP within that organization, about 200 people in my org. And then I left and started being a consultant, helping other companies do things and coaching. And I realized that it wasn't about the engineers and the software development and the processes. What was broken often was the gap that gets created between leadership and what I call the boots on the ground. And that built my passion about building what I call my mission now is changing the world of work. And I do that one conversation at a time because when I see a leader get it, it changed a life for them, their family, and their whole organization. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like we're on a similar, we have a similar mission. Uh, so that's why I love having uh, you on the show to hear from your perspective. Uh, and I love the fact that you say, you went down the court, down the route of Dale Carnegie, Carnegie, and it was about the 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 people side of things. And, and really, you know, I say leadership is a people business because that's really what it's all about. It's 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 motivating people to get something difficult done. And and we get confused sometimes in leadership, but really, those are, that's it's all about people. Yes, yes, it is, and and I find it very interesting. Um, because in my world, tech, and I, I see it sometimes in other organizations, a lot of people get promoted based on their technical skills, what they know about getting the job done, in my case, getting software built and out to people. But as you move up, you need less and less of those skills and you need more um, mm. people skills, what HR kind of still calls soft skills, but I call core skills. Mm, yes. Yes. Core skills. I like that. I'm going to call it core skills. I like that because uh, <laughs> I, because I get tired of hearing soft skills because, and you know, Mike, my, my, always, my, my funny line is if they're soft skills, why are they so hard for so many leaders? <laughs> so, that, that, that's right. That's core right. skills. I like, that's a better way to talk about them. Absolutely. I like that a lot. So your new book is called the six step leadership challenge. Uh, came out late last year. Um, tell us a little bit about the inspiration for the book, why you wrote it, and who you were, who's your target audience for this book? 
Okay. Um, so I do a lot of coaching for for people who basically director levels and above, directors, VPs, C-suite, and we're all on a journey. No matter where they are on their leadership, they are still growing and changing. Um, if COVID taught us anything, is that the world can change instantly, and unless we know how to change with it, companies could die, the companies go. Um, so leaders have to understand how, how to do those pivots and lead in those markets. So I started putting together what I thought was a more um, action-orientated plan or framework for leaders to use to be able to pivot and change. Mm. That's good. And so... Uh, so this book was directed at managers at all different levels or or at the director VP uh, level? Um, I, I primarily was thinking about director VP and C-suite, but it works for managers as well. Anybody coming into that area. Um, I've had a number of CEOs of organizations that are doing probably around five to ten million dollar range said it helped them drastically be able to put together their plans of moving forward in their leadership. I love it. That's great. Such a such an important um such an important thing that entrepreneurs need to have is leadership, especially when you go from being a founder with a small team to that growth stage where you teams get a lot bigger and they get a lot more complicated. I see many entrepreneurs fail when they have to make that shift because they have a hard time letting go of everything that they are the expert in and having other people help them. Yeah, there's a few plateaus that happen, right? When you start off small and you have a few people, it's not so bad because everybody's in the same room. We're talking to each other. When you get to around 50, that's the first plateau that I think of it starts to work differently because the number of paths of communication now are astronomical. It grows so much each time you add a person. So now you have to kind of have a communication plan. You have to understand you can't just wing it anymore. Mm -hmm. And then when you reach 200, that's another one. And, and it keeps going from there. So unless you're able to move and change with those challenges... Leaders can't grow, right? Yeah. It'll stunt the growth of your organization. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely, for sure. So, um, one of you, I was just gonna, you know, we we introduced this idea of of reasons why leaders fail to make an impact. So, what are some some of the more common reasons why leaders fail uh, to really impact their team? Well. Um, I'm going to say one word, but it's very complicated. And the word is fear. I've just listened. You, you, you said the word that I believe is the biggest challenge with leadership. Interesting that you've come to that same conclusion. I, I, have, I have as well. So. so I created what I call the four fears of leadership. Oh. Right? I tried to make it as simple as possible. So first one is the fear of incompetence, or what's sometimes called the imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And what that does, it kind of slows down your decision-making. But what the effect is, you're building a culture of uncertainty. 
So you're slowing down decision-making, micromanaging comes into play. So that's that first one. The second one is a a fear of appearing foolish. Mm. So with that, you or you might recognize someone in your team doesn't want to stand up and speak up. Give new ideas. So you're building a culture of conformity. Mm. Lacks innovation, no risk-taking, and stunts the growth of your business. The third one is fear of failure. Mm. Fear of failure, you start seeing a culture of blame and avoidance of accountability. In fact, there was one, one place that I was coaching at And the uh, person I was coaching said, Jim, I'm not allowed to say no. When people come and ask me to do things, I can't say no. Mm. So he ended up with a list of too many things. He couldn't prioritize them. He's whiplashing his team. His team is overworked. They start leaving the company. He has less people, more things to do, and it just feeds on itself. That really, he can say no. He has to learn how to say it or prioritize it. But what the organization really wanted to have is trade-off discussions, and they weren't having. Mm. Um, so the the last one though is the uh, fear of appearing vulnerable, mm. and that builds a culture of distrust and disengagement. When people don't want or fear feedback. It just stunts the growth, again, of creativity, innovation, um, and mistrust. Yeah, yeah. I, that, that, that last one I was just thinking about, you know, when someone is fearing, they don't want to be vulnerable, they tend to be, at least in my experience, I see they, they tend to be fake. And so they have sort of fake emotions about different things that are happening in the business. Like, you know, if if the business is in trouble, you're going to have a natural, you know, emotion towards that. But if you say everything is fine, we're going to make it, it's going to be, people are like, your, your, your emotions don't match the situation. And therefore, I don't know that I trust you because something yeah. is inconsistent here, you know, right. and, and they sense it. People sense it. They're like, this isn't right, you know. Yeah, 100%. Another one that I see often uh, managers say, I need to have a virtual suit of armor when I walk into a meeting. Ooh. Why? Right? Because I'm afraid people are going to point to me. I'm afraid to take risk. I'm afraid to do this. So that armor shows up in either their fear to be foolish or failure or vulnerable. Yeah. And it, not, it changes the culture of your organization. Now, I was listening to one of your podcasts, um, and the fact of leaders create culture came up in, in the discussion, and I guess that leader said, uh, or your example was a leader said that they, they don't create the culture. Well, they don't knowingly create the culture, but they certainly do create the culture. Absolutely. <laughs> Everything that we say and do affects the, what our organization acts like and um, and in response to what they observe from from the leadership, uh, right, for sure. I want to hit uh, the first fear of incompetence. This is one that I really saw a lot of 
when I looked at various leaders in my 22 years in corporate were that was just people didn't want to look like they didn't know what they were talking about. So that meant that they wouldn't necessarily go to where their people were. They weren't present. So they locked themselves, sequestered themselves in an office. They had a conference room where they liked to hang out. And they never went out and spent time with the people because they didn't want to appear like they didn't know, you know, mm. about the business. And they didn't know someone's name or they didn't know what that machine was. So they didn't want to look foolish or look incompetent. So they so they hid themselves. And, um, and the only way you're going to get to learn about your business and your people is to get out there and, and maybe look foolish and... And say something stupid, and just and, and and be able to laugh at yourself, and just say, "Well, I, you know, it's my first time here." You know, I didn't, right? I, I, yeah, right. You know, and uh, but but the point is, is that that's the, the more time you spend, uh, you know, physically with your people, you're gonna you're gonna be more competent. The, the more time, the more time you spend with. Them. So, I don't necessarily need to know how to operate that piece of machinery, right? But I want to know what the problems are with it, what causes the team to slow down, what things do I need to worry about, the technology part of it of, or how to operate it. I don't need to know that. You need to know that. Correct. That's right. As I said, as we move up, we need to do less of the technology part of our job because we have people to do that. Yeah. And when yeah. we hire, if we're doing right, we're hiring the right smart people to do that. Yes. It's up to us to figure out, create a runway for them to operate, right? Um, allow decision-making to happen at all levels. Mm, I agree. I agree 100%. So one of the things you say in the book is you say our internal story can predict or will predict our leadership capacity. That got me thinking, uh, but I wanted to hear from you. What, is, what, what do you mean by that? Well, that extends our concept of fear. Right. We end up creating self-sabotaging stories. Yes. Our brain listens to stories. Our mind is made up of stories. This is and our brain basically takes our experiences and saves them as stories in our head. And it replays. And there is one person that you listen to more than anybody else in the world. That person has been there since you were born and has been talking to you every minute of your life and that yes. yourself. And when you're telling yourself stories like, I'm not good enough, I'm too old for this, I'm too young for this, nope, I'm too busy, I'm too shy, I don't have the right resources, I can't say no like this other person. As soon as you're saying those self-sabotaging stories to yourself, that limits the impact that you have in your leadership. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. What are some ways that we can overcome that when we do have those voices in our head telling us that we can't do something or we're powerless against something? Well, there, there's a lot of different ways. The first one is to recognize it, mm. right? Um, and that for me was a, a, big, a big thing for me was mm. I, I've heard those stories myself. When I became that leader of three teams, all of a sudden, and my boss said to me, I know you have it in you. Don't worry about it. I'll help you, right? I was like, well, I can't say it on air, what I actually said, but, <laughs> but I didn't think I could do it. 
But instead of saying, no, I can't do it, I say, well, let me find out ways to do it. What mm -hmm. can, let me seek out ways. Let me find help. So I change that narrative to yeah. something more positive. I can't do it now, but I can do it later. I can figure it out. There's plenty of stuff out there. I have help, and I'm not afraid to ask for help. Yeah. And I always had the, the idea of when I hire, I like to hire people who are smarter than me and who think different than me. Mm. Yeah. Maybe it's because I love that conversation to go back and forth and the brainstorming yeah. to go on. I think those are all good things. But that was one fear I didn't have, to yeah. hire someone smarter than me. And that was something that really helped me change my landscape as I grew. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Leadership skills are like any other skills. You need to practice them to get better at them. Best-selling leadership author John S. Rennie knows this. That's why he's written a new book called You Have the Watch. It's a guided journal for leaders designed to take you through an entire year of leadership training. By the end of the year, you will master 50 of the most important leadership skills. If you want to have a greater impact on the results and people in your organization, go to youhavethewatch.com and pick up your copy today. This episode is brought to you by Jeremy Clevenger Fitness. As a high-performing leader, you know that leadership isn't about telling people what to do. It's about leading by example. And for most people, the one area that they're lacking when it comes to leading by example is their health and fitness. By improving your health and fitness, every other area of your life improves. But how do you get and stay fit as a busy leader? Well, you do what you've always done. You hire the best person for the job. Don't struggle on your own. Put Jeremy Clevenger on your team. Jeremy will work with you to take your physique, mindset, nutrition, habits and more to the next level with his step-by-step all-inclusive coaching program. Now I've worked with Jeremy for the past year and I'm in the best shape of my life. If you want to step up your game, reach out to Jeremy at apexperformancesystems.com to find out more and get your initial consultation scheduled with him today. This episode is brought to you by the Sasquatch Flag Company. The Sasquatch Flag Company is a family-owned business in New England that builds hand-carved American flags from seasoned white pine. Each flag is hand-built, and each star on the flag is hand-hammered and chiseled. No two flags are alike. They offer a variety of flag designs to honor the police, military, firefighters, dispatchers, and search and rescue personnel, to name a few. These stunning handmade flags look great in an office, a studio, the back porch, or above the fireplace mantle. They make the perfect gift for the veteran, first responder, or patriot in your life. Now, I love these flags, and I've been giving them as gifts for years, and I was a customer long before they became a sponsor of the show. I can't recommend them enough, so if you're looking for that perfect, uniquely American make gift to give away or if you want to treat yourself go to sasquatchflags.com and get your order in today i do see that as a fear where leaders don't want to hire people smarter than they fear that they'll get passed over or that person will will, will be elevated above them and and they had to fear hiring people that are different from them because again they fear that their ideas might be you know off base with their own personal ideas or they might you know be in conflict so they want you know, they want the simple, they want the easy, right? Right. And, and, and the thing is, you don't really challenge your organizational thinking unless you have people that are smart and people that are different and people that have come from 
completely different backgrounds. And, you know, I've always said I'd like to have my leadership team to be a mix of people that have come up through through the ranks and people hired from the outside, mm-hmm. just because it, it, it just gives me that blend of, hey, you know, at this at X, Y, and Z company, we did it this way. And then the people said, you know, and then we got we got experienced people say, yeah, we we tried that, but uh, we you know we had a problem, and they say, oh, we we use this this piece of equipment to fix it. And they're like, oh shoot! And then suddenly there's something that happens that this blend of outside you know people yeah. and inside people is so powerful, and I love having that mix in my teams because there's always something wonderful comes out of that you know blending those together. Having those conversations is what moves companies forward. Yeah. I always hated it, and I guess hate is a strong word, when <laughs> the answer of something was no because of a historical reason, because it didn't work before. Yeah. Well, the market might have been different before. Why? How's it different now than it was before? Yeah. We have different people. The company is bigger. We have different resources. The market is different. There are so many different variables. And if you don't tell me what you learned from it other than it just didn't work. Well, why didn't it work? Mm. Right? What did we learn from it? Is it so wrong that we can't figure it out and we need to go a different path? Or is it, it didn't work because we didn't have the right person in place and we could pivot or change or whatever it is. So we need to think past it. What have we learned? Anytime we do something and it doesn't work, why did it work? Mm, yeah, yeah. Like you, you, you know, the old expression: you never, you never fail. You learn, right? If you something, you know, like yeah. as a, as an entrepreneur now, I started my company seven years ago. We made some really big mistakes in the first few years, and I still have some of that inventory on my shop floor. <laughs> it's my it's my uh, um, my corner of shame. But the point is, is that we learned a lot from that yep. putting a product out there that wasn't um, that. They couldn't make money at the end of the day. We didn't, the, the mechanics didn't work where we actually make money. So, uh, so we, we made a mistake and we spent some, a lot of money and, and it, it failed. But guess what? You know, that, that product in that corner is a reminder of like what not to do next time when we roll out mm-hmm. product, right? So I think, I think it's really important to learn from when we do make a mistake instead of saying it's the end, oh, fire somebody and we fail. It's about learning from that and what That's can right. Why do we fail? What can we do differently next time? So from from my world of experience, especially in software development, we have this whole world of what we call agile software development. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a term that we say fail fast. Mm, yes, yeah. So it's about we're going to fail. Um, most experiments that happen out there, new ideas, 70% of them will fail. Yeah. 30 of them, 30% of it will make it well worthwhile. Yeah. So let's figure out the 70 real fast, fail fast, and get kind of get to the 30. So when I talk about leaders, how to execute, it's all about experimenting. Mm. What should we try? How should we try? And I, I say, experiment like a fifth grader. In fifth grade, I had to do a science fair experiment, and we had to poster board up, and you have to put your hypothesis, the experiment, and, and what we found at the end. Did it prove or disprove the hypothesis? 
Well, that's what we should be doing every time we execute something. And yeah. think about what is the smallest, cheapest, fastest experiment I can do to prove or disprove that hypothesis. Getting a whole product out yeah. isn't the way to do it. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, and I think when you talked about the fears, one of the fears you had is fear of failure. And that prevents people from doing those little experiments or they're they're afraid to try something new because there may be failure. And the point is, is that unless you have failure, sometimes you never learn and you never get that 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 aha moment to take you to leapfrog where you're at to where you could mm-hmm. be. So failure is such a powerful teaching tool that we have to have failure. In fact, if we're not failing, there's a question, are we trying hard enough? Are we trying hard enough, right? Are yeah. we taking enough risk on well, there, there are a few words that I'd like to use, and experiment is one of them, right? Well, we're trying to decide something. I use the word experiment. Well, what experiments do we want to run? Because it's just something we're trying. People are more comfortable with an experiment not working yeah. than a project not working. True. And the other word is don't use the word decide. Decide comes from a root word, side, to kill off. Homicide, suicide. Oh, yeah. Right? So when we decide something, basically you're killing off all the ideas, leaving one. Right. Well, as you move on, working on that idea, as more data comes in, you might find out that's not the right one. Mm -hmm. So we say, but, but. All the other ideas we killed off, so we have no place else to go. So we just keep on going, sinking more cost into something that probably is not going to work. But if we just say, what are our options and what is the best option today, you don't kill off the other option. Yeah. We experiment with the best option. Well, that didn't work. Okay, what's the next option Let's review the options that we have. Are they still there? Are there any new ones? Let's reprioritize. Try again. I like it. Yeah. There's uh, 26 letters in the alphabet. Let's try plan B. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's a joke in in my company. We say that sometimes. Well, plan A didn't work. (laughs) Let's go for plan B. (laughs) So, Well, most plans, when you originally plan it, will not work. Because you're using your your best guess based right. on what you know right now. And I don't know about your crystal ball, but mm-hmm. mine is just as foggy and cracked as somebody else's, and I'm trying to look around it. And sometimes we don't find out until things move down the road some, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Um, being able to adjust the plan, tweak the plan, or completely pivot is a sign of flexibility of organizations. And this is a problem with a lot of organizations. They don't have that flexibility. Mm, they, yeah, a fixed mindset. They're fixed in the way we do things, and we don't right. stray from, you know, the way we do things. And then the, the answer might be over here, but you never stray from that. And so you miss out on those opportunities for sure. Right, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Versus growth mindset. I talk about that a lot to my clients. Yeah, absolutely. It's a big, it's a big challenge, and I saw it a lot in 
in my corporate days, a lot of fixed mindsets and that's not the way we do it here. And it's like, why not? You know, let's, mm-hmm. let's try it. Why not? So, Well, that's back to the culture word. Yeah, it is. It is. And if the culture is not there for experimenting and trying new things, you know, then you're, in, you know, and you're the one person saying, hey, let's try something new. You're out on a limb and nobody, you know, nobody wants to be out there with you is what I learned <laughs> in some cases. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what are some some areas, important areas you think that leaders need to focus on? So when I have leaders go through my six steps, and in the third step, we talk about what I call the uh, leadership quadrants. There's four quadrants. The first one is about uh, creating your own story, right? It's getting rid of these stories of uh, self-sabotaging stories, creating a story of the future, which often people call vision, right? Mm -hmm. But too many leaders create a vision. They think the vision is just this corporate thing. But wherever you are in your organization, you need a vision for your team. What do you want your team to be? How should they look like in a year? Uh, How does that align with the company? So vision and then a strategy to get there. And And I talk about in that quadrant strategy, the difference between a strategy and a plan. Plan are all the tasks to get there. A strategy kind of is the milestones that get us there, but we're not saying how to get there. We'll figure it out as we go along. The second quadrant is um, about learning while executing, right? And we talked about that a little bit. That's about experimenting and what's my hypothesis and what have I learned and how do I move that forward? And I call that um, empowering your story. The third quadrant moves us away from action and a little bit more towards people, right? This is about activating your story. And what is the culture? Is the culture feeding your organization or is it slowing it down? What are the processes and systems people use to make things happen? Are they Were they built a long time ago and they're not really working for you anymore and creating waste. So it's all about people processes. And the last quadrant is about defining your story. I needed a D to spell L-E-A-D, lead. And um, that's really all about executive presence. So tell us about executive presence. What is that and what does it look like? Uh, So (laughs) it's a term that everybody says differently. And it's amazing how many of my clients come to me and say, oh, yeah, my last, in my last review, my manager told me I need more executive presence. Yeah. But they couldn't tell me what it meant or what it yeah, was. But that, that's what I get a sense of. That's why I asked the question. I, I see different people think of it differently. So I was curious to know your, your take on it. Sure. I divide it into five areas. Identification, presentation, um, communication, affiliation, and action. Identification is about how you see yourself. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What's your leadership style? 
and sometimes my strengths become a weakness because I overuse them. That's all about identifying who you are. Presentation is more how other people see you, how you connect to the rest of the world, um, how you carry yourself, um, are you credible as a leader, all those type of things. Communication is everything. There's so much in communication. However, the biggest thing that I always say in communication is we have one mouth, two ears. We should operate in that order. <laughs> yes. Right? Um, then is uh, affiliation, my network. Who are the people out there filling my sales and moving me forward versus the other ones are my anchor and slowing me down. Mm. Knowing your network up, down, back and forth, inside the company and outside the company are all things that you need to know. I find it amazing how many leaders come to me and say, Jim, I need some career coaching. I need a new job. Should I use LinkedIn? Well, now it's too late to build your network. Mm. You really should be working on it, whether LinkedIn or something else. You should be working on it all the time. I think that's a big piece of advice right there, because you never know when you're going to need that. Network. No, you never do. <laughs> yeah. And then action is taking all those things and how do we put them together and how do we make your style come out. And a lot of that starts to become personal branding. So those are my five pieces to put together executive presence. I like that. I like that, that it, you've got those five elements of it. It makes a lot of sense because... You're sort of giving like a holistic picture of what that looks like, and I and I like that uh, like that definition better than any anyone I've heard before. So that's that makes a lot of sense. Thank sure. you. It took me a long time, a lot of research, <laughs> a lot of uh, word smithing to kind of figure it out and how it fits together. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. I love that definition that you provided. So. Um, what else can leaders discover when they go through this book? What are some things that maybe we haven't touched on that uh, they'll be able to get in this new book? Well, in this in this book, what it does is, I said I wanted to make things actionable. So it's a journey of figuring out who you are, how you fit in the organization, what you want to accomplish in the four quadrants of leadership, and it's putting together your plan. Mm. And I, I have a way of putting together my version of a 30, 60, 90-day plan that includes four swim lanes, where each swim lane is a piece of that quadrant, uh, vision and strategy, action, uh, or execution, and so on. And there's a column in each one of those. When I put it together, what have I learned in the past 30 days that I'm going to tweak and adjust in the next 30 to 60 days. Mm -hmm. And after that 30, 60, 90-day plan, guess what? We get to do it all over again <laughs> and, and move it forward. So it's about iterating and moving forward. So you're constantly changing. You're constantly moving. I believe if you go and look on the Internet and you Google around, um, what are the top leadership skills a leader needs? They'll give you all kinds of things and communication and all that stuff. I say there's two. Self-awareness. Yeah. And self-education. Yes. Yeah. Without those two, 
all the other stuff don't work. So if you can be self-aware, look at the quadrants, understand what you want to build, put it in your plan, you're building and educating yourself moving forward and you get to do it again. Where am I now? Yeah, yeah. And some of that takes a little bit of humility <laughs> to be able to say, here's where I'm at and here's what I need to do to get better and, you know, yeah. and to self, you know, to to be self-aware and to self-educate to, yeah. con- you know, this continuous learning. As I tell people, I'm a lifelong leadership learner. And some people introduce me, like I'm on podcasts, I say, well, John Rennie's a leadership expert. And I'm like, Ugh, I don't know if I am. <laughs> I've been doing it for a long time, but and I feel like I should be, but... There's so much to it that, uh, I, to me, I think it's more like I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. That's a better description of what I am. There's so many factors to leadership. That's why there's so many books out there. Yeah. And there's, I was talking to a client today. He said that uh, now that I'm a leader, I wish I took more psychology classes when yes. I was in school. Right? Yes. Yeah. It's a people business. And I think that's the thing that's probably more think what I've learned over the years is that, uh, and I'm working on a doctorate now and we're studying a lot of psychology and I'm like, ah, okay, well now I understand why I'm studying so much psychology now because it is about the human element. It's about people. People, you know, I like to say that people are messy, but they're also amazing. And so we, that's our job is to tap into this, you know, this, this amazingness and 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 to understand that there's messiness as well and to be able to bring out the best in our people and and it's that's a lot of psychology yeah for sure <laughs> yes very much so mm-hmm. and now i i do a lot of this stuff out there and they try to put it into different pigeonholes and all that stuff and it helps us explain it i mean i do the same thing my four quadrants my yeah. my four fears helps us explain it but nobody ever really fits into one bucket. Yeah. It doesn't quite work that way. We are messy. Yeah. Um, But we use it as a way to help explain things and help make decisions and move us forward. So it's just very interesting. I think the frameworks and the models are very helpful to be able to help people to see, you know, see opportunities where they can get better. I think those things are all really helpful. I think we it helps us to make a mental model of where we need to improve. And I think those things are super helpful. But you're right, everybody's going to be different. Everyone's going to have different strengths and weaknesses and things they need to work on for sure. But, um, but yeah, those frameworks are helpful to say, okay, well, this is where I fit and this is where I need to work on and what have you. So, yeah, this is good. So, um uh, again, the book is called The Six-Step Leadership Challenge. Um, and again, we we touched, uh, we, uh, really, we haven't gone through the whole book, but we've touched on some of the items here. And there's some really powerful stuff, leaders, as you're listening into this podcast and you're looking for, hey, what leadership book could I get out of the 11,000 business books that are written every, <laughs> every year? Which one should I get? This is one that gives you some practical solutions to be able to improve your impact as a leader. So I highly recommend you check out this book. It's called The Six-Step Leadership Challenge. Jim, how can people find out more about you and this new book? Well, of course, you can come to my website, and that's simple, jamesoliba.com. No www. (laughs) Um, You can find me on LinkedIn. I always look at my LinkedIn basically every day. I get back to people pretty quickly. I'm on Facebook, so those and Twitter, you can find me there as well. Um, 
So that's where you can find me. The book is on Amazon.com right now. Um, I'm looking to put it on my website as well. Uh, I have a couple other books that are going to be coming out in the next year or so, basically building on that one, how to build a promotion using six steps, how to build a better team using the six steps, things like that. That's fantastic. And when you do get another book, we'll have you back on because I'm, I oh. really like the way you're approaching this. And uh, maybe it's your programming, your you're uh, you're coming from the tech background, but you're putting in a framework, a structure, and I think those things are really helpful. Uh, you know, I tend to be all over the place with my books. It's more like, you know, here's some here's some stories and here's some experiences. But I love when authors put it in a way that's that's uh, packaged in a way that you can understand. And so I think, and my hats off to you for doing it that way because I think it's really really helpful. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. And I really, uh, again, congratulations on the new book. And uh, again, uh, listeners, I really highly encourage you to check out uh, Jim's stuff. And we'll have links in the show notes for all those resources. So, Jim, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for sharing this new book and all of your insight that you provided. Oh, you're welcome. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for sharing your audience with me. Well, thanks again. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast. Back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the Interviews. Electric Acid.